Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Spiniverse. I'm Rabbi Josh. He, him, pronouns. I'm the executive director of Goucher Hillel. My name is Leah. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm Goucher Hillel co-president. Hello, my name is Ryan. I use she, her pronouns, and I am Hillel's Shabbat co-chair. All right, and we have a special guest with us this week. Come back to us from the Center for Jewish Education is Rachel Plotkin. Go ahead, RP. I am Rachel, and I am so excited to be here with my former student and the best executive director in Hillel, um, Rabbi Josh. And so we're here. I'm so excited to be here. I used to work at Hillel. I was the former assistant director until about a year ago. And now I work at the Center for Jewish Education as the family engagement specialist. Awesome. So we're going to jump right in. We got a juicy one this week, guys. This is uh, Parshat Kitisa, which is the golden calf. So... Here we go. Go ahead for a joke. Yes, absolutely. Well, it was while you were still doing this. So it's not related to this anymore, but it's still a very funny joke, I think. It's not. It's not very funny. Okay. <laughs> not a good joke. I'm warning you now. Why are chickens awesome? I don't know. Why are they? Because. <laughs> awesome. Joke. Get that out. <laughs> Love it. All right. All right. So we're on Kitisa. Anybody want to read this summary? Just a basic summary here. I can. Go ahead. Kitisa is the 21st Parsha in the annual cycle of Torah reading. It tells the story of the worship of the golden calf, Moses breaking the two tablets in response, the second set of tablets, the declaration of God's attributes, and Moses' return to the Israelites. All right. It's jam-packed. So I had to kind of pick what we were going to look at this week because we, you know, we don't have forever. We want to kind of get to the juicy stuff. So we're going to talk about this golden calf episode. And uh, before we even get in, like when I say golden calf associations, what do you think about? Melted down a bunch of gold that the people gave them and made a mold in the sand of a calf and poured it in and stood it up on an altar. I love the process here. We get like the inside the golden calf maker studio. Cool. Um, Rachel, you want to read for us? This sure. Getting us Starting into at one. Yeah. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and said to him, come make us a God who shall go before us. For that man, Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people took off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. This he took from them and cast in a mold and made it into a molten calf. And they exclaimed, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron announced, tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord. Early next day, the people offered up burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. They sat down to eat and drink and then rose to dance. The Lord spoke to Moses, hurry down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted baselessly. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I enjoined upon them. They have made themselves a molten calf and bowed low to it and sacrificed to it, saying, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the Lord of who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord further said to Moses, I see that this is a stiff-necked people. Now let me be that my, 
anger may may blaze forth against them and that I may destroy them and make you of a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord, his God saying, let not your anger, O Lord, blaze forth against your people whom you delivered from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. All right. That was Thank you, Rachel. What are your takes on this? What do you notice in this reading of the story? So I just have like a couple questions about chronological order because yep. I need some help. So before Moses goes up, does God make the declaration that like I'm the only God? You can't you can't do anything else. You gotta worship me and only me. Yep. Okay. That was so, pretty clear in the Ten Commandments before Moses goes up the mountain. Great. Double checking that because chronologically sometimes things don't make sense. Yep. So that clears things up. I have to say, oh, go ahead, Leah. Leah. Oh, thanks. What kind of stuck out to me was at the very end when God is saying, like, oh, I'm going to destroy all the people. And I was like, oh, it's like in Noah when God destroys all the people. But I guess now it's kind of interesting how you have Moses, who was like, no, don't. And Noah was like, okay, I'll just hang out in this boat for a while. So I just thought that was a pretty interesting comparison between how those two people kind of interacted with god and how those two moments of kind of anger at the people and kind of a wish to be like done with them just kind of played out differently yeah you know that's a very tradition there's a lot of rabbis who make that very same comment that you just made leah about comparing those two and seeing moses's righteousness as compared with noah who is seen as righteous in his time like relatively righteous but moses is like pretty righteous all right rachel go ahead I was going to say one at the beginning of the story when they were just bored, like they basically were bored and were like, Oh, let's just do something fun and make this calf. And I like, I read this earlier in the week and I was like, I can't, I don't even remember. Like Aaron was not such a sadiq. He was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make this calf. I just thought that was so strange. Like, why didn't he be like, why wasn't he like, let's have some patience. We have to wait for Moses. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. This sounds like a good idea. Well, it does say they gather against Aaron. So we ha- I have some sense, at least the commentators, about this kind of mob mentality. So Aaron is maybe, we don't, we're kind of reading between the lines, maybe he's forced, but maybe you're right. Maybe he's kind of like, all right, whatever, you know? And there's actually a lot of Midrash that says, basically, Moses was taking a long time. He said he was going to come down on the 40th, 40 day and 40 days and 40 nights. And it got to the 41st night as nightfall was coming and the people were like, oh, Time's up, Moses, you know, like, um, so, yeah, I mean, it says something about human nature and boredom and the need for leadership um, and all of that. I also I'm, I'm noticing this whole sense of like who delivered the people from Egypt again. Like there's it's mentioned a couple times where Aaron's where Aaron stands up and says, this is your God that delivered you from Egypt. And then at the end of it, Moses says, let not your anger blaze forth against your people who you delivered from Egypt. So it's like, it sort of needs to go back to, yeah, who did the delivering again? And it's not Moses, interestingly, in any of these scenarios. It's this idea that like this miracle happened and we have to impute it to some kind of being. And can you believe in what you don't see? Um, Which, you know, it comes back to a lot of that. Moving along, guys. All right, so now we get Moses's reaction. Moses seems like a cool cucumber, right? God just told him this whole thing 
And he's like, don't destroy the people. Just don't do that. All right, fine. And God somehow appeased. Now Moses comes down and you get to see if Moses is really a human being after all. Okay, um, Leah, you're up. Okay. As soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, he became enraged and he hurled the tablets from his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it. He ground it to powder and strewed it upon the water and so made the Israelites drink it. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do that you do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, let not my Lord be enraged. You know that this people is bent on evil. All right. There's a lot there in that short passage. Moses is like, God, don't be angry. And then he goes down and gets angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Moses goes King Kong on those tablets. He really does. He's like, God, you did this. I got your back. And then he goes down and he's like, oh, what? (laughs) Just go... It's very funny. It's, it shouldn't be funny, but it, it, it's a very funny picture the way I see it in my head. Um, I, I kind of don't know what God and Moses expected of the people. Like, okay, if we look at this from the people's perspective, they were slaving away in Egypt with like no help. Then God's like, okay, fine, come on. And then he's like, wait for 40 nights and 40 days. You, you did some slave labor. You can wait a little bit longer. And the people are like, what? No, 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 friend. And I, I kind of don't know what God and Moses were expecting the people to do. Like, for all they knew, God had like said, "Sucks to be you again." I don't know. I mean, yeah, so Moses didn't come down when he said he would. Right. So your sense is the people are feeling betrayed, um, and it's in their nature. I mean, yeah, they waited so long to be taken out of the land of Egypt. Like, they were slaves for a really long time. And God takes them, they wander, and then Moses goes up and doesn't come back down. What are they supposed to think? Why are are they suddenly supposed to trust this God? Great, he brought them out of the land of Egypt 500 years later. I don't know if that's an accurate number. Close, 400 and something or other. Yeah, you're actually pretty close. Yeah, 430, I think. Yeah. Oh, good point. All right. Others? I think, well, Ryan, I think you kind of mentioned this, how like when they were, when Moses was up on the mountain, he was like, no, no, the, don't, don't get mad at the people. Yada, yada. Um, and then he came down and like smashed these tablets cause he was really angry. And I think, I don't know, to me, it kind of feels like up on the mountain, he was like, maybe mad, but wasn't kind of actually seeing it at that time and was more in the mode of protecting the people. And then when he got down, he actually saw what was going on and didn't really need to like defend or protect them from God destroying them anymore. So he could kind of show that he was angry at them Mm. um, personally. So I think there's kind of like two sides of that because you could see it like Moses was angry at the people the whole time, but he didn't want God to destroy them. So in that um, moment, he kind of had to defend them, even though he was angry potentially the entire time. Right. So you have a strategic Moses 
anger there. Like Moses is seeing things from like a literal 10,000 foot view above the mountain. And then when Moses gets down amongst things and sees how things really are, it's a different reaction. Um, Rachel, any thoughts? Yeah, I think he was, I don't think he thought it was as bad as he was like telling God. Like sometimes I think also like, I think Moses thinks like a parent. And so I think he was like, look, it's not that bad. Like, don't worry. Like sometimes Josh, you're a parent, you know, like sometimes you'll like say to your partner, like, don't worry, like it's okay. And then like you get home and like someone calls you and tells you something's happening. You're like, oh, it can't be that bad and whatever. But then you get home and you're like, oh my gosh, like the whole house is like a mess or whatever. There's a tornado that went through. It feels like that. So I think that's actually, to me, that's like how Moses was feeling. Like he was like, God, don't worry. Like, it's okay. Like I'm going to take care of it. Don't destroy them. And then he like got down there and he saw the actual camp and he's like, like, oh my God, this is not good. And he got real angry. Yeah. <laughs> and, I think and made this the is drink the half gold, half powder. That's pretty weird, right? Talk about making them eat their words. All oh, I'm wow. saying. Yeah. That was so weird, too. I didn't know that. I like, don't remember that part of the story. Yeah. But that's like a punishment. He was like, well, like, if that was your kids, you'd be like, you got to clean this up. He was like, all right, guess what you have to do now? It doesn't really make any sense. Like, what, what would, did it make it just confuses me how that became a punishment because it was just like drinking water. Did it like the gold make it taste bad? Did it make it, I've never drank water with gold in it, obviously. So I don't know what gold that experience poisoning. would yeah. be like, but I'm confused why that that was the punishment and exactly what what point that was. Yeah, that's not the end of it. We're not going to read a passage, but there's a part in between here where basically uh, the Levites go and kill the people who are the rabble rousers starting this whole thing. Um, so there's some there's some consequences. And one of them here is not only that, but also these tablets, which Moses spent all this time up on the mountain and scribed by the finger of God. Moses just smashed them. And uh, they kind of got to be replaced. So where does Moses go from here? Let's go to the last part. We'll get to that. Um, Ryan, you're up. Be ready by morning, and in the morning come up to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one else shall come up with you, and no one else shall be seen anywhere on the mountain. Neither shall the flocks and the herds graze at the foot of this mountain. So Moses carved two tablets of stone like the first, and early in the morning he went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, taking the two stone tablets with him. The Lord came down in a cloud he stood with him there and proclaimed the name lord the lord passed before him and proclaimed the lord of the lord a god compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in kindness and faithfulness extending kindness to the thousandth generation forgiving iniquity transgression and sin yet he does not remit all punishment but visits the iniquity of parents upon children and children's children upon the third and fourth generations Moses hastened to bow low to the ground in homage and said, if I have gained your favor, O Lord, pray, let the Lord go in our midst, even though this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your own. Thanks, Ryan. All right. So there's a lot going on. We got a dog joining us on the podcast. You can't see this, uh, listeners, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's Shushan. He wanted to say hi to everyone. Shushan, how's it going? Um, so, all right. So this is kind of the, the coda of this whole thing. And 
it's interesting because it has some like re, it has some reflections of what happened earlier in some other points about Moses going up on the mountain the first time, and this whole question about like forgiveness, right? So, what do you notice from this? Slow to anger. God has a pretty. Does God have a different definition of slow? Well, I was maybe. like, yeah. I was like, is this the same God who almost destroyed them, like? the day before something god was legitimately about to just wipe them out slow to anger excuse me you could argue god could have just wiped them out and didn't you know um but yeah there is this question and it goes to moses too like what does it mean to be slow to anger we all have things that just get us right that can enrage us like they did moses to throw the tablets down on the ground um god too and yet, um, what do we do in that moment to like create some kind of a break between our reactivity and like being able to like think through how to react to what's going on around us? I guess also like this is something I see a lot. Like sometimes you'll get really angry and kind of like I don't know. I feel like this happens to everyone. Sometimes you'll like burst out in anger, and people will be like, "Wow, you're so you're so angry," but they. I don't know. They don't always see all the times you were frustrated about something and just kind of handled it. And we're like, you know what? Like I'm angry, but I'm just gonna move on. It's okay. So I feel like that's actually kind of the same with God. You don't know what these people have been doing that might be making God angry for all these years. And now this could kind of be like the one big thing that God just kind of like can't handle anymore. So you never really know exactly what's going on, what else the people may have done in the past. Like I was like, you know what? I'm going to overlook this. It's okay. People make mistakes, that kind of thing. And then this could just be kind of like that one thing that kind of like the straw that brings the camels back, especially because it is going against basically the most important part of Judaism. Yeah. Right. Can you really work with these people? Ryan, Rachel. Is this how prayer started? Like, is this like how it started? Like we started like, like Moses, it sounds like Moses was like, okay, now that God hasn't destroyed us, he's not too angry about the calf. I'm going to like start praying. Like, is this when it like started as like a thing? I think a certain type of what I would call intercessory prayer, which is basically saying, I want God to intercede on our behalf and make sure that we're not destroyed. In this case, God's actually, there's no, like evil power. There's no Haman or other empire that's about to destroy us that we're asking God to save us from. We're talking about God, God, God's self. But the the phrase that's actually being used here is the same thing that we actually say on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and throughout the whole 10 days of repentance, which is that whole, like the 13 attributes of God, the Lord, the Lord, that's, that's where this comes from, this passage right here. And it's basically like, we're trying to remind God of God's own nature. And maybe in this passage, God's also trying to remind God's self of God's nature, because you're right, Leah, two chapters ago, God just did say, let me blaze forth in anger and destroy these people. Um, So, you know, it's interesting because it shows a portrait of God that is a little bit more human then kind of the God at a remove potentially that like a Maimonides or other philosophers might like us to see. Um, and, and it's also contradictory, right? Because there's this statement that says God does not remit all punishment and visits the iniquity of parents upon children to the third and fourth generation, which by the way, we cut that part out for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because it doesn't really go with the theme. We want God to forgive us, but we live within contradiction. 
you know, and uh, we live with the idea that there are consequences to actions. And um, yet I think part of where this ends on is the idea that there is a possibility of change. There is a possibility of tshuva or repentance to be able to make up for things and be able to do something else because God could have left us alone and not been with us through the desert. But not only does Moses get that to happen, but Moses also gets the second set of tablets, um, which are much like the first. Any closing thoughts, guys, beyond that? Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this week for Spiniverse. Next week, we're going back to building the tabernacle again. And we'll go into the nitty gritty details and see if we can get some more, more of that understanding. Have a wonderful week. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Another point. It's our special guest birthday today. So That's when true. you're listening to this and you haven't wished RP a happy birthday, you can wish her a happy belated birthday. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Leah. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Anytime you need me, just you know where to find me. You got it, RP. All right. Shabbat shalom. Spiniverse is a production of Goucher Hillel. If you'd like to look at the text that we've been studying today, take a look at the link in our episode description. Have a wonderful week.